and welcome to Art Waves, a podcast about arts and culture in small rural towns. My name is Marian Myers, and I'm curious to learn more about the arts and the impact they have on my small town of Port Perry in the rural township of Skugog, Ontario, in the traditional territory of the Mississaugas of Skugog Island. I've discovered a wide variety of passionate people creating, coaching, and connecting in my community. And today we're talking to Paula Lishman, who's a renowned artist behind Paula Lishman Furs. Welcome, Paula. Well, thank you. So, Paula, tell me some of your background and how it led you into creating your unique art. Well, let's see. I was raised in Goose Bay, Labrador, and people there in Goose wore fur. Of course, it's north, but they wore it on the inside with, you know, some kind of an oil skin on the outside to keep the weather out. And I remember when I was nine, we moved to Don Mills, and my brother and I were walking to school, and we saw a lady with a fur coat on. And I said, look, she's got her coat on inside out, because the fur was on the outside. And it really struck me as bizarre that fur would be worn on the outside. I mean, it's such an incredible, warm, sensual material. Anyway, you know, I went to high school, whatever. I grew six foot three. Can you imagine? I couldn't get anything. I had to learn to sew. I went to Mexico when I was 17, learned to weave, came back, met a woman doing that History in Action Day from Esther Bryant from Oshawa, and she taught me how to do vegetable dyeing and carding wool, you know, to to do spinning. And so I learned how to make fabric. And then uh, I learned how to embellish it. We got expropriated for an airport in 1972. The queen said she needed our property. Well, we disagreed. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and I silk screened, I don't know, 2,000 t-shirts at least. And then Bill ran for the NDP one year. And so we silk screened signs and I did batiking. Like I made the kids little leather pencil cases and batik their name on it. So I was kind of learning all I could, different kinds of textile skills from making yarn, spinning, dyeing it weaving it, knitting it, crocheting it. And one day I managed to find three deer skins at the Stovall Market and I brought them home and I really oh, wanted the big to... old flea market in Stovall. That one? Yeah, that was a long time ago, right? Yeah. But these skins were so great and I wanted to make a dress, but of course, you know, you couldn't lay a pattern out. I mean, hides have legs and necks and bellies and backs and different, you know. So I learned how to work with leather. And I made this dress by just draping it on myself, cutting away the parts that didn't work, taking those cut pieces, legs or whatever they were, cutting around them with a pair of scissors and making a long narrow strip, in essence, making a leather yarn so that I could morph the fabric to fit where it didn't fit normally, right? Yeah. And then I found that knitting the leather gave me flexibility, gave me breathability. So Stretch. my deerskin dress had this big crocheted stripe down the side and the back from the waist up was all knit. 
And, um, and that combination gives you, you can move in it, right? It was great dancing dress. Ooh. Anyway, um, I thought knitting leather, that's very cool. And then I had a sheepskin and I wanted to make a vest. So I just, I did the same thing, cut away parts that didn't fit, crocheted gussets. And that way I started knitting with fur. Mm -hmm. And how did it turn into a business? Well, you know, the first few pieces, I made the kids little slippers with, you know, sheepskin bottoms and then, you know, like the neat, like uh, South American sweater socks kind of things. But, you know, you have to learn what's going to work and what isn't going to work. The first few sweaters I made, I sewed them together with nylon thread and they kept popping because just working, being a knit, the thread wouldn't hold. Mm -hmm. So you go to cotton, right? And then I discovered a, a way to make the fabric better. Like, I've been doing this for, oh my gosh, 45 years now. Mm-hmm. See, how old am I? Anyway, and um, so now we, when we cut the strip, and we're still the most efficient way to cut a pelt is by hand. With a razor blade from the back of the leather, round and around from the outside edge. Just cut it into a long strip, and then we take that strip and we twist it with a... Uh, tight mercerized cotton thread, H2s is what it's called. Mm-hmm. So it's very strong, right? Much stronger than sewing thread. And then the, the leather kind of wraps around the the cotton core. So it it's like a pipe cleaner. Yes, and you that's so that the fur cleaner? sticks out all the way around. Yeah, yes. and, and so when you knit with that, rather than just a strip that had a leather side and a fur side, you'd often get, you know, kind of patchy, patchy looking. This made it really nice. And that was all done by hand. Cutting by hand, the twisting, I mean, I'm back now because I've morphed from 200 employees to uh, none, (laughs) to me, Um, back to the way we started, which is just a drill on its side with a spindle on it, back and forth. Yeah. Um, You know, it's not high tech. Machine, yeah. What what made it work is I, I... I got all kinds of material. I got some Mongolian lamb. I got some guanaco. I used to buy my my rabbit pelts at Skin and Bones. The first first rabbits I got, rabbit pelts, made these tube hats. And the hats were really fun to show. I did a craft show with John Richmond, who was from Uxbridge area. He started the Uxbridge Celebration of the Arts, actually. Um, And it's a little tube, and you can pull it down, wear it around your neck. You can tighten the drawstring at the top, wear it like a hat. You can roll a brim in it. You can open it right up, fold it in turns, wear it like a headband. You can twist it and throw it into the audience like a snowball. <laughs> and, you know, it was it was so much fun. People were just amazed. And I had only made 10 to take this craft show. I sold nine and kept one as a sample um, and took orders. And that's really how it started. You know, people were really interested. Neighbors, a friend, Colin, ordered, Colin Stevens ordered a rabbit sweater because I'd made one for Bill. We were into cross-country skiing. And, I mean, it's perfect. It's all tubes knit together. It's the second skin. He honestly would put it on in October and take it off at the end of March mm-hmm. because you can wear it inside because it breathes. You can wear it outside because it's fur and the wind goes around it. Yeah. So my girlfriend and I loaded up my car. We both had kids. We both had nannies. We both had husbands. We figured it was our turn. <laughs> we did a trip across Canada. And our first stop in North Bay, we sold a dozen rabbit head, head hats, these little hat things, my hat tubes. 
And uh, we did a trip across Canada, and it was very interesting because we had done a mailing previously to fur stores, but any fur stores we went into, Winnipeg, they did not get it. You know, these guys are pretty straight-laced. They're very, very traditional. They do things a certain way. They want to fluff a coat, and they want every guard hair to lie down perfectly, and if there's one missing, it's a second. You know, and this and, is the fur on the outside. And I'm and taking, the yeah, this is a regular inside. fur coat that yeah. is available at fur stores, right? And so I would bring in some of these sweaters and it was fun stuff. I had a baby bunting. I had a big kind of a rappy poncho thing with coyote. And, you know, I, I really basically got a hold of whatever I could from the new wholesaler I had found and um, made stuff with it. A lot of it with leather trim because I was knitting leather waistbands and you know we could space it out that mongolian jacket i wish i had a picture of that anyway mongolian lamb crazy disco jacket so we would look we would roll into town and we would get a paper and we'd see if anyone advertised and then we would cruise the streets and see find the high end of town and go into what looked like the nicest store and i would pull a hat out of my out of my, you know, briefcase, purse, whatever, and, and, you know, show the sales girl and ask if I could see the manager or the buyer. And, I mean, that's how we set it up with yeah. specialty stores because a woman goes into a specialty store, she might buy a pair of sandals, she might buy some nail polish, she might buy something for her hair, she might buy a rabbit sweater yeah, or a little whatever because, you know... You go into a fur store, you know what you want. You want a red fox stroller. You want a coyote baby. You want something with a hood, with white fox trim around. You know exactly what you want in your mind. And you don't go in there looking for a sweater. So it was not, you know, we learned that we had to develop a new market. Mm -hmm. We had to develop a market of people who appreciated the art, who appreciated the comfort, who didn't, you know, these furriers said, would say to me, you mean you take a perfectly good pelt and you shred it? Yeah. <laughs> like, they did not get the concept at all. Yeah. So, and that's how it started, that trip across Canada. Oh, my God. That, that's the, my friend that was just here from Gabriola. So we just spent a week, well, most of a week together. She went to visit her father-in-law, who's 104. Oh, my God. Dr. Charles Godfrey, he started, he was the chairman of People or Planes. People or Planes was a big deal, you know? We were expropriated for that airport. We got a really tight group of people together, and that was 50 years ago. Mm -hmm. More. 50 years ago. That's, like, so crazy. That's lifetimes, right? Yeah. Hard to believe. They but thank God there's no airport it. there. And if they get their act together and smarten up, they should divvy it out to small farms. We need much more diversity in what's available for food. That land, that pickering land could feed Toronto. Anyway, I'm off topic. Sorry. No, but, but, that is... but it's, you know, it's just a shame that it's just sitting there. Yeah. The good well, thing is it's of... not developed. The good thing is it's not developed. And they gave a third of it to the West Rouge, but it should be productive it's the only productive farmland left in canada really yeah you know it's the best land there's like i don't know it was eighteen thousand acres and i think they gave away about a third of it so yeah and, and speaking of land then you and bill settled in what's called known as purple hill purple hill yeah describe it for people who haven't seen it 
Uh, Purple Hill is a magical place. My father, we were expropriated. We were living in a one-room schoolhouse. I was pregnant, quite pregnant. Bill built a kind of a guest room in the front yard of the schoolhouse, which is a full-scale replica of the lunar module. So, you know, it was a little crazy. People would open the door of our schoolhouse and flashlights would be going, hey, man, I think somebody lives in here. Hey, man, you know what? Spaceship land in your front yard. <laughs> anyway, um, mom and dad wanted to invest in some property. So my dad got topographical maps. He wanted a place with a view. So he followed all these, the moraine, basically, right? And uh, he found this place and he called us. We found this place. The sign was kind of grown over, but we went and checked it out and drove in. You should come and look at it. So Bill went over. It was wild strawberry, like right now maybe a little week later, wild strawberries. And Bill went from one end to the other eating wild strawberries all the way. And he said, I don't care. This is, we got to live here. Where do we sign? Even if it's only for a few months. <laughs> and so did you, did it have a building on it? It had a chalet. Yeah, it was a prefab built by a doctor from Oshawa. And uh, it, you know, it serviced us very well for a long time. But here we are on the top of the moraine from the house you see Lake Skugog from the shop. Bill built himself a workshop at the end of the driveway. You see Lake Ontario. So we're sitting up here in this little pointy house and the wind is just coming straight from Winnipeg. <laughs> so Bill kept dreaming about getting out of the wind and going under the ground and, you know, taking advantage of the healing and cooling properties of the earth. Because once you're below the frost line, which is only 12 to 14 inches, the temperature is very stable and it's almost 60 degrees Fahrenheit. It's mm -hmm. like 59. So it's very comfortable in the summer. And from in the winter, if you only have to heat from 59 to whatever, 68, with no drafts, and you can get that by digging yourself in. And basically, that's what we did. You don't want to live in a taproot, so he made onion bulbs. You know, our house is a series of eight interconnected bulbs and with lots of elbow room because it's it's not a straight up. It's a it's a curve. You know, like the eggshell is so strong. Mm -hmm. So kind of trying to mimic that shape, but, you know, straight floors, of course. <laughs> yeah. And, and then the property is very inspirational then for all the other uses you put it to. Um, um, yeah, it's, you know, Bill's workshop has produced all kinds of sculpture across Canada, um, amazing pieces. And then he did the theme sculpture for the Land Transportation Plaza for Expo 86. And it turns out Expo only rented the sculptures. They didn't buy them. Oh, because they, yes, of course, with Expo, they had land that they were using, but they didn't, they knew, I think Habitat was the only yes, they, building that, that they said sold. they kept. Just, yeah. Anyway, so we had to go and pick up Transcending the Traffic, 86 foot high, big tower, with all these figures walking, running, bicycling, land transportation, right, around this big tower. So that became part of our um, environment all the painted pieces. He did a pig for a butcher store but in Lindsay, but it was too dangerous because kids wanted to climb on it and it was all rusty steel. So we had we had to park the pig back at the house. And um, this 86-foot high tower has come in very handy because it's now an internet booster. So we get free internet for life. <laughs> Plus we've <laughs> not, got all these sculptures he, lining the driveway. Not what he was thinking when he designed it for Expo, but uh, yeah. 
Right. And then um, he worked with Stephen Lowe from IMAX, and he did a 3D IMAX. He did a lot of sculpture for a 3D IMAX production called The Last Buffalo. And uh, the buffalo itself was one of the most amazing pieces he's ever done. He sold it to a friend of mine, John Meekham in Texas. But anyway, a friend of ours. He, um, so we've got pieces from The Last Buffalo. We've got his self-portrait standing at the end of the walkway. So every day I see him, and this year I've got him holding flowers. Usually I make him hold the broom, but this year he's got, and he's got the best flowers. I told him that this morning when I was watering. Your basket's the best, Bill. Yeah. And he's everywhere on the property. He's in the house, of course, with lots of sculpture and and uh, dining domes. There's domes in the woods. And, and my son, Jordy, is working on foam domes. He likes the dome idea, but he thought Bill's was... Well, Bill's was five. Bill's portable dome that he made is a hundred foot dome that you can use for whatever garden shed or what. It has mm-hmm. openings. Ours has three openings and and it's a dining dome. Um, but they were five pieces, and Jordy thought that was ridiculous. If you go to six, and so he's got this whole modular concept of building domes, and then he builds them out of steel, covers them with the expanded metal. And then spray foams them. So his are all foamy foam domes. Yeah. <laughs> He's working on it right now. And now actually. your property has um, a yurt on it. Oh, and yes. Tree we fort. Have... And... Bill built this tree house because he wanted to be able to get away and write his book. And he did do write a number of books. And uh, so he built this house. Well, Gord Lee actually did the construction. But it's it's on a hill but it's in the crown of the trees it's in the crown of very old trees so it's quite spectacular that way we call it the tree house but it's not actually sitting on the trees and uh, it's up a very steep hill and and beside the gravel pit which is the gravel that came to build the causeway into port perry and then we have a yurt he wanted to build this yurt and it's quite an amazing story the yurt bill was raised on a dairy farm on wesney road which now my son jordy owns and uh, he, after he left the farm, he wound up living in a blacksmith shop in the village of Greenwood. Mm-hmm. And then he went and he did a sculpture there. He learned how to, how, he says he learned how to weld from the ghost of the blacksmith. Because all the old guys would come in, well, you know, Walter, he used to do it this way. And so they really taught Bill how to do forge welding. And... Hence his love of welding, which went off into arc welding and MIG welding, whatever. But um, uh, what was I saying? Oh, yeah, the yurt. We were looking for a yurt to find a yurt yurt builder. And uh, it was in the very same house that Bill and Zach had lived in. Edna Green's property is the property where they were building these yurts in Greenwood. It was just such a coincidence, you know, just zap. Anyway, so we had to have the yurt. And then this motorhome. He loved this motorhome. It's an old GM beachcomber. They're very rare, apparently. A friend of his had it. And we had this big XY cutting machine that we had developed for for the fur. We thought maybe cutting it by machine would be able to increase our production. I mean, yeah. we were doing, by this point, millions of dollars in export sales. 1995, we won uh, Canadian Women Entrepreneur of the Year Award for international competitiveness because we did over $10 million in export. 
And that's exporting Canada's good prime beaver worked by hand, <laughs> yeah. mostly to the Japanese And market. mostly the Japanese. Oh, yes. That's really an interesting side to that story. What you know, appealed Because there? it's comfortable. Mm. Nobody, they're, they're all different. They're so different. There's such a variety because their diet changed so much after the war. So, you know, Japanese people are very hard to fit. And traditional furriers, they would do certain alterations on their pattern. But put them in a sweater, man, they're so comfortable. They loved it. They really did. And we did beautiful, pretty, pretty colors, pinks and, you know, misties and sherbet colors. And these Japanese women, I mean, they are a monoculture in terms of their hair color. Their mm -hmm. size now is wildly varying, as I say. But the it, younger generation is so much taller because they yeah. started eating cheese. But you they know. were small and, and small bones. Yeah, and, 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 you know, very homogeneous. So they looked for things to make them stand out mm -hmm. in people's memories. You know, like when you're meeting people, right? It's, it's a very different kind of a culture. But fortunately, I made a product that they loved. And, you know, it scared me because when I would go to the retail stores, what I would wholesale for a thousand bucks, I would see in yen for $10,000. Wow. But we sold to trading companies who sold, who doubled it, who sold to wholesalers who doubled it, who sold to retailers. So the retailer, mm -hmm. you know, and that's how I, I mean, it's amazing to me that we were able to maintain a market. And I mean, we, we, I worked with, you know, so many talented people from this area, designers and, you know, it, it was a real group effort. To... How, how did you dye the beaver? We have everything dyed professionally in Montreal. Oh, okay. But we do do use beaver and, and using beaver, we went through a number of ways to obtain it because there's a lot of choice there. I mean, you can buy at auction or you can, we did a deal for a while with the Cree trappers up north. Their pelts were so clean, you could eat off them. I mean, they were the cleanest leather pelts I've ever seen. And then for a number of years, we worked with the Algonquins in the Ottawa Valley because we, we were going through almost a thousand beaver a month. We had to process 50 beaver a day through my shop, right? Mm. 50 had to be blocked, go out for cut, come in from cutting, get spun, get knit, get finished, get assembled, get in a box, get out the door. Mm -hmm. 50 pelts worth every day had to follow through that process. And did you use knitting machines or was it yes, done Yes, it was hand? the only way to have any kind of, you know, I mean, I started out hand knitting and I, you know, I had, I hired some people to hand knit and you get these sweaters where, you know, It'd be real loose after a glass of wine and that. <laughs> but before that, she was yelling at the kids and telling them to get their teeth brushed. And, tight. You know, the sleeve would be going like this. So we knew we had to do something about that. Because, you know, when you're selling to a store, if they want a size small, you, you've got to give them something that at least resembles small. Yeah. <laughs> and it the knitting machines, too, though, they're not... It's not some huge, massive, big machine. No, no, it just right? sits They're on a little... table. Yeah, yeah. It just it's it's really all hand operated. You're still casting on every stitch, and um, you know we do a number of different techniques that we've developed with the fur yarn, combining it with either cotton, silk, or um, cashmere, and often a combination, one thread of each, mm -hmm. um, and. So we do, you know, different diamond shapes to spread it out. One row of fur over four rows of cotton. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. or we do woven two to one, so two fur to one cotton, or we can knit the fur actually through the machine. We can knit it in, which gives a very flexible row for really good for ponchos and different things like that. And then we do five rows of cotton in between. So, you know, it's it's been really fun experimenting with that yarn. Yeah. And you're still doing it. But mostly hand knitting now, I am. right? As no, no. Well, boy? I mean, I have one knitter. I have one cutter. I, I cut the fox. Cutting fox is nice. But, you know, you're taking a pelt and you're turning it into one-eighth of an inch long piece of spaghetti. <laughs> it gets pretty boring. Yeah, yeah. I remember being visiting with friends in California and we were in Carmel and right. walking into a boutique and there was your work and I, yeah. yeah saying to Richard look look at some of Paula's work that's so cool and then meeting the the, sh the boutique owner Tracy and, oh, yeah she's yeah, my yeah. she's still my customer she's uh, she's the one I I can work with and I've held on to and she was great you know she she got me uh, she kept us busy yeah. I'm taking the summer off she says she doesn't really need anything so um, I haven't had a summer off, I don't think, since I was 11. I was trying to think when I got my first summer job, but it's kind of nice, you know. I've got grandchildren and people to visit, and so I yeah. don't have the pressure, although I'm making her a, a, a beaver doggy sweater. <laughs> wow. I so I, I can't <laughs> imagine an artist today doing quite starting out quite that way again. I don't know. Is that well, era you know, past? What what we did was something different. We just it just was a different combination of material and technique mm -hmm. that nobody had thought of before. And I think you know there's still possibilities. I mean, it's it my business grew so gradually, so gradually. It kept hiring people. We moved down, you know, we were in the garage to start with with buckets on the side with the yarn in it and and then we moved to the shed down the hill and then we bought the schoolhouse in Blackstock. That was a biggie, mm -hmm. really biggie. And then we put a big addition on it and then we got three portable, two portables. And then we had to rent industrial space in Northport. So, but it all grew gradually. Mm -hmm. And then, um, you know, I know, I, I always figured it would get copied. I mean, you have to, right? It, mm -hmm. it is the sincerest form of flattery after all, I keep telling myself. Yeah. But um, I was exhibiting in Milan and this Chinese guy came in and, you know, I knew. He was he looking was, at it very closely. He was looking closely. at it really closely. But I do, you know, I do take my hat off to him. He did a different process. We make a fur yarn and we build fabric and we can shape fabric and we can decrease and we can do bust darts and we can do wedges. And so we're actually really manipulating the shape of the fabric in two dimensions. And then we wash it and block it as part of our process. What he did is he took a mesh like mosquito netting mm -hmm. and he cut, he traditionally when they let out a coder, they have a cutting machine in the trade, but it just cuts straight lines. And so you sew a bunch of pelts together, and so you've got a long, you can get a long strip. So he did that with Rabbit, and he took that strip and he wrapped it around the sides of the mesh. Mm -hmm. So if you if you look at someone's scarf, I mean, you know, when I was in Hong Kong, they were wholesaling Rabbit scarves to uh, Danier leather for seven bucks U.S. a scarf. Yeah, I mean seven bucks. I'm sorry if I turn the lights on, it costs more than that. Yeah, seven bucks. Yeah, and that's finished product. 
Well, that was a long time till somebody got to that point. Yes, they were it, we had a really good run. And, you know, I'm even at, you know, they were selling them for 50 bucks or whatever. I, it was very good because it allowed a younger generation to be able to appreciate the beauty of real fur. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, it is the most amazing material. Yeah. Warm. It really is. It's warm. It's soft. soft it's sensual. We do a chrome tanning. I mean, what is it, June? 28th and I'm wearing fur I mean because it maintains such a comfortable body temperature that's why Bill could wear that rabbit sweater because you didn't sweat in it and then you didn't get cold when you walked outside it just yeah. kept your body at a really comfortable temperature yeah well it's an an amazing story it's a great product yeah <laughs> come to Port Perry Bloom Loco well and that's kind of cool that you still I've, sell I've, in a local store I've gone full circle me and my girlfriend now we do craft shows it's so much fun we just did one in Bob Cajun at the Heritage Village we yeah. were in the general store and it was so great because it had a big veranda so I was sitting in one corner I had made a an L shawl that I had to sew together. So I had this, I had a project. I always take work with me because I sit and work and Lynn, Lynn's the mouse, she does the talking, right? And I do the hands. But um, <laughs> it was a general store in Bob Cage. And I yeah. mean, you know, it's amazing because we do have something for everyone. Like we have a $35 price point, we have a $50, we have a $100 price point and we have $5,000. So um, it's, it's really, Nice. I mean, when I did the wholesale trade show market, like, you know, we showed in Germany and Montreal was our home market, of course. We must have done that Montreal show for at least 25, 30 years. Um, anyway, people got to know it. Yes. So when you take it on the road, it's really fun because, you know, especially a craft show like that, there's lots of knitters come and and they just it's really great to blow people away again you know to have them go wow yeah. what a concept yeah. that you know that haven't been exposed to it before yeah it's, well, fun. And it's just beautiful work and, yeah. and it's just and it, yes yeah, so people can find your work at something like the bob cajun yeah, show yeah, right. but also in right in port yes. perry port too. perry is my main home where yeah. uh, where everything lives yeah. yeah or the boutique down in carmel California. yes yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. we give tracy a plug too yeah yeah. Well, thank you, Paula Lishman. It was oh, just great pleasure. having this conversation. And I think we'll probably have some more together, too. And, Good. And so to our audience, uh, Chi Miigwech for spending time with us today. Thanks to The Wanted for their song Before the Fall and the Ontario Trillium Foundation for the grant that got this done. Visit scugogarts.ca to get the scoop on what we're up to and hit subscribe. Join us every Tuesday for an episode of Art Waves.